He won't ask you about maybe the missing, so what's the missing beast so far in social robot, a person of robots. You have the both experience now in academia and also from, yeah, entrepreneurship and, and you have been in the two worlds. From your experience in this long journey, what's still missing? If you can't tell, this is the point here. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of what's missing in terms of seeing, you know, social robots, you know, kind of finally fulfilling our science fiction dreams of being a ubiquitous technology, you know, in our, our human spaces. I mean, I, I think in the most, the most basic sense, what's been missing is sort of the killer billion dollar business case for it, right? I mean, I think it's, it's really that simple, right? So, you know, if we've, you know, and, and, you know, maybe we're coming upon that now with, again, global aging society and so forth, but, but this sense of, like, if you're really going to turn the research into, you know, a ubiquitous technology, you need, you need a viable business case, and it's not just enough to kind of hobble along. I mean, it, you probably want something that's, like, radically successful, like, you know, the personal computer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a challenge right now. And part of it's because, I mean, as we appreciate in robotics, building things can actually move and interact in the physical world. It is really hard versus having kind of pristine, purely digital information, right? I mean, it's messy, it's uncertain. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It requires, you know, computation. You know, when we think about the energy efficiency of these things, you know, big improvements in battery technology, but, you know, and, and cloud computing. But these things are still like, you know, you can imagine that, you know, we, we would benefit if those things were even more and better, <laughs> you know, cheaper, more, you know, more, more powerful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, um, we have this world now of conversational agents in a tube and talking speakers. And so when you talk about the mass consumer mindset, it's been challenging because, you know, People see that now as a nearest neighbor. Even if a robot can do more, manipulate the world physically, et cetera, et cetera, there's a sense now that I think that conversational AI, you know, 10,000 skills is cheap. <laughs> you know, you can get that for 40 bucks, right? So, so that is a kind of a business trend that's kind of like working against us, right? So, so I think, you know, we need to kind of find, again, this really compelling business application that, you know, the physicality and the abilities of the robot are essential. Um, there is a price point that people are willing to pay, you know, whether that's a company or an individual, a consumer, like it has, there has to be a market for it at a price people are willing to pay. All these things have to align. I think, you know, they will eventually. I mean, I don't think anybody has ever doubted or questioned that there will be a time when autonomous robots are ubiquitous. It's just, we have to find, we have to find that kind of killer business case for it to really like get out there in a big way. Otherwise it's gonna to continue to be smaller opportunities, startups trying, you know, it's, it's, been, it's, it's, it's been definitely kind of fits and starts, but I think the derivative is positive. <laughs> I think we're getting closer, <laughs> but we haven't quite nailed it yet. You know, we haven't quite nailed it yet. Um, and there's, again, there's forces that are making it harder given other nearest neighbor technologies and now perceived price points and value of those technologies, which, you know, obviously were extremely expensive to develop. You know, if you're a huge multi-billion dollar company, you can kind of, you know, quote unquote, kind of give it away for free. But if you're a startup, you actually got to make a profit. So it's just, it's, it's tough. 
it's tough for young companies, the innovative, disruptive, it's hard in robotics for young, innovative, because that's typically where disruption happens is with startups, right? It's hard in robotics for, for, for early stage companies to do that, right? Um, anyway, so I, I, I think that's, that's a big part, just a very practical part of what hasn't fallen in to place yet and kind of some of the forces that are, are making it challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe I want to ask you your opinion. I think there was discussion about, for example, the bed robot, for example, like dog robot or cat robot versus the actual cat or dog. That one of cases, of, for example, also for other companies that try using arm robot, for example, helping elderly in home. For you, there's, there's many factors here. The aspect that's connection, but we have the human. And also, I think that's what you have been working on, expression and movement, and that's, how empathy is increased and connection. But when you see this example, do you think some cases doesn't make sense to you? I mean, do you disagree with certain approaches in social robots? I don't know if you hold like controversial views or you disagree with certain approach in designing social robots, whether in academia or in social life. Like So, you know, society. I think, I mean, maybe one of the advantages of kind of the slow, <laughs> Kind of the slow ubiquity of, of you know, social robots, in, you know, particularly because that's my area of expertise. It's because it's not like you flip the switch and they're out there, you know, and millions affecting millions of people's lives like, like AI has done. We're able to develop and study and deploy and understand in a much more iterative, responsible way. You know, so within academia, we can try to understand, you know, the scientific aspects of it, we're becoming more and more acutely aware of the importance of the responsible design aspects of it. We are starting to understand more and more how people psychologically and emotionally engage with these technologies. We are starting to look at, you know, use cases, potentially like highly impactful use cases where this kind of technology could be particularly interesting and effective. So in some sense, because it almost by definition has had to move more slowly and gradually, we, we are better able and positioned for, you know, the researchers basically to really try to provide, you know, the, the scientific, the computational, the sociological, the design practices, you know, the insights on how we try to do this in a way that really makes sense for people in, in their lives, right? I think if this became an overnight success and went, you know, viral, so to speak, I mean, we, we would have found a lot of like, whoa, that was unexpected, oh, you know. So anyway, maybe, you know, it's been, a, you know, kind of a backhanded adv- advantage maybe. Um, so in terms of the controversial aspects, I think, you know, I don't think it's controversial, but I would say one of the big questions that now kind of drives my philosophy and my work is, you know, so much of AI out there is about driving efficiency and productivity and kind of the business of it, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I find myself asking the question, well, what does it mean to build, you know, an intelligent technology that actually helps us to flourish as human beings? What does it mean to create a technology that actually helps us to become who we aspire to be, right? So, you know, that's a lecture I have, I think, as an academic, you know, and then it, it's been guiding the research and the applications I've done where it's not about 
building an intelligent technology that competes or replaces people at all. It's really about trying to think about how you, how do we design these intelligent, kind of very human-centered, you know, supporting a more holistic human experience.